Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. As an English teacher, I often contemplate words. This week, I found myself thinking about the term grasp and how we use it. My students can grasp a concept, and I can hold my phone firmly in my grasp. But more often than not, we use the term to imply its opposite, that which we thought we had, but we no longer do to lose our grasp on something or something we're striving to attain, but hard as we will it to happen, we just can't quite get there because it's just out of grasp. It's funny how that works. Something we're so sure of, held tightly, we're confident in, to a grip so fragile that we don't know if we'll ever reach it again. In our case this week, the same could be said for a relationship. A young couple were in the beginning stages of planning for a family and beginning their lives together. They were a small town couple, known and well-liked by all. A beautiful future seemed so sure. They and all those who knew them were confident. Until, that is, one of them was abducted on the night of April 4th, 1991. This is the story of Angela Hammond. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the case will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, and to follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast. Because as these families know, conversation helps to keep their missing family member in the public consciousness, helping to keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. So to start our show today, Maggie and I would like to thank Beth. We don't know your last name, Beth, but Beth, (laughs) who donated on Buy Me a Coffee to support our show. Oh, go Beth! Because she got tickled at our stories and at Maggie calling someone a grade A butthole. So thank you, Beth, for supporting us. You are welcome, Beth. (laughs) for that comment (laughs) we talk about a lot of grade a buttholes but it's true it's in the it's in the the job it is 
So a glimpse into the future. Also, Maggie and I have been tossing around the idea of starting a Patreon page by December to help us counter all of the costs of producing the podcast. We were actually just having this conversation <laughs> because Through we're poor. That. Yes. We are poor. Um, but don't worry because you will still get, even once we start a Patreon, you'll still get your weekly fix on all of your favorite podcasting apps for free. Mm-hmm. But we will post bonus episodes, episodes of us telling stories. And listen, we've got some doozies because horrible things happen to us. Yes, yes they do. <laughs> they And I don't know why because we're honest, we're, we're good people. Yeah, I'm a nice person. Like, why does karma do that? But yeah, we've got some stories, people. Um, Bloopers, we've got lots of those, too. Mm -hmm. Lots of mispronunciation. You're welcome. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And we were talking about maybe hosting a monthly Zoom so we could Mm -hmm. hang out with all of you guys and chat with all of our supporters on there. Um, You would get a discount on merch once we start selling it, which will also hopefully be in the near future. Plus probably the best gift you can get a shout out on the show just I like mean, beth did yeah beth <laughs> so there could be have many beths in one show that's right so we'll keep you updated but maggie and i are super excited to start producing some quality bonus content for you mm-hmm. so let's get into this week's episode angela hammond was popular in her small town of clinton Missouri. Angela was bubbly. She was witty, smart, kind, just a likable 20-year-old. She worked at a local bank, and she also attended classes at Central Missouri State University. Allison, you worked at a bank during college. I sure did. I sure did. It's the best job. It's really good. Unless people are like, you know, they don't remember spending money, and then they think you've somehow stolen it. (laughs) That happens, too. (laughs) Especially in small towns. And Maggie, Angela would have stood out not because she was tall or loud, but because she was so petite. With her curly brown hair, her bangs teased only the way we could in the 1990s. Well, I was an infant then, so. Oh, Maggie. Oh, Maggie. It was an art form. (laughs) The higher you could get it, the better. Closer to Jesus. That's right. Closer to Jesus. The stiffer you could get it with the hairspray. So it wouldn't move. Like a windstorm could come through. And your things would still be sticking (laughs) straight up. Wasn't it like Aquanet? That was like the go-to hairspray. (laughs) So even with her bangs teased all the way up. As we did in the 1990s. (laughs) She stood at only 4 foot 11. See, I always wish that I was like petite, maybe not four foot 11, but like a good like five, two. But now that I've gained like, you know, my COVID 15 pounds, my quarantine 15, <laughs> I'm glad that I'm not five, two because I would look like an Oompa Loompa. Oh my goodness. You're silly. Yeah. My mom, she's like five, one. So I'm just picturing, you know, my mom's height. And yeah, my little sleuth hound is like the same height as my mom already. So, and she's 12. So when I think about Angie, because that's what she was called by her friends. I think about that Shakespeare quote from a Midsummer Night's Dream. You see it on a lot of um, like children's room decor and nursery mm-hmm. room decor. And it says, though she be but little, she is fierce. Oh, yeah. And Just so Angie was tiny. Quote. Yeah, it is. Angie was tiny, but she was so driven. The year before, when Angie was 19, she had started dating another popular young local, Rob Schaefer. Rob was a year younger than Angie. And as a senior in high school, when they began dating, he was a football star in their little town. So they were like the couple who seemed to have it all. And by January of 1991, they got the news that their relationship was about to change. They were going to be parents. 
Oh, wow. So Rob was still in high school, I'm assuming? He was. Okay. Yeah, well, he had just, I guess, at the point of this story, he was 19. So he had recently graduated. Oh, okay. When Angie told Rob that she was pregnant, he proposed to her. And they quickly started preparing for their new roles. So they were both excited about this mm-hmm. future together. And the prospect of having a child just helped to solidify that commitment that they felt and their plans for the future. As I mentioned before, Angie was taking college classes during the day, and she was actually working as a processor at a bank in the evenings. And Rob was working odd jobs until he was able to join the military. Well, so they had a like, plan. Yeah, for young people, that's a pretty good plan. Mm-hmm. So even though they didn't have a lot of expendable income, they did decide to rent a home and they were just beginning to get it ready to welcome their baby. So they had some of the things in their home already, but then other things were still getting set up. Like they didn't have a home phone set up yet, even though they were staying there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was just one of the another piece that they needed to get in place. Right. Because you don't think about that like when you're a first time home buyer, like that you have to call to get your water turned on and call to get the electricity turned on and like all this other stuff. Like when you're that young, you just think like it's there when you buy the house. Exactly. So on April 4th, 1991, Rob and Angie had gone to a barbecue around 10 p.m. One source said that Rob left the barbecue and drove to his mom's house. And another source said that Angie had dropped him off at his mom's house because his vehicle had been left there so that they could ride together to the barbecue. But either way, whether he drove to his mom's house or they had ridden together to the barbecue and Angie took him back to his mom's house, Rob's vehicle was at his mom's. And he did go there after the barbecue because he needed to babysit his younger brother until his mom got home. So they're going to a barbecue at 10 p.m. at nighttime? Well, that's what time they left the barbecue. Oh, okay. Yes. I was like, Yes. Uh... You're like, that's a weird barbecue. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're smoking something else than meat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So in the meantime, after Angie had dropped Rob off or Rob had gone himself to his mom's house, Angie went to go hang out with her friend Kyla just for a little bit. And the plan was that Angie was then going to go meet back up with Rob at his mom's house. But around 1115, the house phone rang at Rob's mom's and it was Angie on the other end. She was calling Rob to say she was feeling really tired and she was just going to go home instead and take a nice warm bath and go to sleep. Well, you I mean, get she, tired growing a baby, so. Yeah. She was four months pregnant. That first trimester, the sleepiness, it hit hard. <laughs> right? So, she's like, um, it's 11.15, which is already past my bedtime, yes, if we're honest. Same. So, So, what I'm getting ready to say next is something that some of our listeners might not understand. <laughs> we old fogies... Remember something called payphones? Yes. Yes, we do. Yeah. They were outside of every, like, grocery store, gas station, station. movie theater. Yep. And it was super fun because you could potentially, like, find hidden treasure by sticking your hand in to see if anybody had forgotten to get their change. Oh, I never did that. Oh, I did it all the time. (laughs) Yeah. Because... See, to you young listeners, you young whippersnappers, in the olden days, no one had cell phones. (laughs) Right, and we didn't really, and people didn't really have debit cards, so you would have coins to put into the payphone. Yes, yes. And I just had a conversation last night with my friend Marla, who you know, Maggie, who graduated high school in 1991, and we were reminiscing about having to use home phones Mm-hmm. Right. If you're home and if you're using a home phone, having to wait until no one else was using it before mm-hmm. you made a call and then worrying about somebody else getting on the other phone in the house and listening to your conversation. I begged my mom in like fourth grade for a private phone line because two. <laughs> uh, so my best friends were twins and they had one. Oh. And like I remember 
begging her for one, right? Because like, you know, if somebody beeped in or before you yep. had call waiting, your yep. mom would be like, your aunt's supposed to call at 4.30, get off the phone. So like I, I begged for a private oh, line, I never got one. Yeah, I never had one either. Or yeah, you could be in the middle of like the most private, deepest secret you're telling to your best friend and your, your parent would get on the phone. Yep. And then, you know, obviously that's how you're making phone calls if you're home. But if you're not home, the only way to get in touch with somebody was to use a payphone, which meant two things. Number one, what we just said, carrying spare change. And number two, memorizing all of your friends' phone numbers. Yep. I still remember some of mine. Oh, yeah. But sadly, like, right now, I know Rodney's phone number. And that's yeah. it. I know my mom's and I know Anthony's. Yep. Oh, I know my dad's. Okay. So, we know two We know two okay. people we can Yeah, that's it. <laughs> that's all. If they and don't s- answer, we're screwed. Right. Yeah. <laughs> if they can't help me, I'm out Nobody of Nobody can, literally. <laughs> And so because Angie wasn't home, right, she was out, she had gone to her friend Kyla's house, that's what Angie did. She had left her friend Kyla's house, but she didn't want to drive the seven blocks to Rob's mom's house. And I didn't read why, Maggie, like why she didn't just Mm -hmm. drive that seven blocks to let Rob know that she was going home, unless maybe she thought like... You know, if I go over there, then I'm going to feel obligated to wait. You know what I yeah, mean? Yeah. And sometimes you just want to go home. You just want to go home. And I also didn't read why Angie hadn't called Rob from her friend Kyla's house before she left. Yeah, that was what I was getting ready to ask you. But for whatever reason, Angie found herself out and needing to call Rob. So she stopped to use a payphone at the Food Barn Grocery Store parking lot, which was at the intersection of Jefferson and 2nd Street. And as Angie was having her conversation with Rob, telling him that she was tired, she noticed that a green Ford pickup was circling the parking lot several times. And then it pulled alongside the payphones. Well, a man got out of the truck and he went Uh -uh. over to the other payphone. He picked it up, hung it back up, and then got back in his truck. Okay. Um, So two questions and I'm sure, well, I guess a question and a statement. And I'm sure you'll answer the question. Did he drive away? And (laughs) if he did not drive away Mm -hmm. i don't care how many nickels dimes quarters i gotta put in that i'm staying on the phone with somebody until somebody else can come and pick me up from that payphone well so two comments okay Um, he did not drive away of course he did not two your attempt at safety would not have helped oh awesome So instead of driving away, the man got out a flashlight and he started looking like around his truck, like he's searching for something. Oh, God. Well, Angie was so creeped out by this guy, by his actions, that she actually started describing him to Rob, which made me think of your mom. Oh, yeah. The story story with the flat tire. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So she starts describing this man. She says he looks dirty. He's this Caucasian male. He's wearing a dark baseball cap. He has glasses. He has a beard. He has a mustache. He's wearing overalls. Like she's giving Rob all of these details. Mm -hmm. Then she started describing his truck. She says it's this late 1960s, early 70s, two-tone, green Ford F-150 pickup. It has a mural on the back window, like almost covering the whole back window, of a fish jumping out of the water. Okay, so super recognizable. Exactly. So she's giving him all these details. So Rob, and I'm guessing like he's probably trying to calm her down, you know, because obviously she's feeling anxious, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So he suggested, well, maybe the other payphone that this guy tried to use wasn't working. Yeah. Right. And that's why he didn't use it. And maybe he's just sticking around because he needs to get in touch with somebody 
about something. Maybe it's his truck even. And that's why he's looking around it. Right. So she's like, oh, okay. Maybe. Yeah, of he's course right. that's what it is. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm sure she started feeling a little bit better and Rob actually overhears Angie lean out of the booth to ask the man if he needed to use the phone that she's on. And he said, no, he would just try the other one in a minute. So Angie started talking to Rob again, just kind of small talk. So it seems like she had calmed down some. She wasn't as nervous about him, right? Mm -hmm. So they're just kind of chit-chatting. Since the guy said he was just going to try the other phone in a minute. And Angie's about to hang up like they're ending their conversation. She's talking about going, you know, home again to get some rest. And then Rob heard something. Oh, God. Chilled him to the bone. Angie let out a blood curdling scream. <gasps> and uh -huh. according to a couple of the sources that I read... Rob reportedly believed that he heard a man's voice say, I didn't need to use the phone anyway. Oh, my God. So now my mind's going a million places. Like, what did this guy do? Did he hit her, like, over the head, maybe? Like, what's going on? I need yeah, to know. Well, yeah, and Rob's thinking the same thing. Rob's heart immediately starts to race. What is going on? What is happening to Angie? He drops the phone, like doesn't even hang it up, just drops the phone, leaves his brother there, right? Because, you know, his mm -hmm. fiance and unborn child are in danger. Yeah. He runs out to his vehicle. He knows where she's calling from. Because I guess when she called, she said like which page phone she was using. So he heads immediately toward the grocery store. He wasted, no, I mean, he was flying, wasted mm -hmm. no time. And luckily, remember, he's only seven blocks away. Okay. So he's not that far away. Right. So as he gets closer, Maggie, a green truck passes him going in the opposite direction. And he heard a scream as it oh passed. Oh, my God. So he's like, oh, my gosh, is that the green truck that Angie just described? Was that her screaming voice calling out my name? Rob realizes that was the green truck that she oh had talked God. about. So he immediately turns around. Yes, like, Rob. Yes. But he like throws his car into reverse because, you know, he doesn't have time to like wait until the next turnaround. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. so he throws his car into reverse to turn around. And he starts to follow. And when he did, he starts chasing after the truck again. Then he sees the mural on the back, right? The fish jumping out of water. Mm -hmm. And he realizes this is the truck. He has to save Angie. But, oh, Maggie, God. when he threw his car into reverse to get caught up, something had happened to his car. I don't want to know. Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only, not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform, with over 350 million global monthly visitors according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. One source that I read seemed to indicate that he had turned around too hard, like that immediate throwing it into reverse. Uh -huh. But when he made another sharp turn, 
his transmission failed. What is it with cases lately and vehicle transmissions? Last week, too. Yeah. Keep your transmissions in check. Yeah. Check your engines. (laughs) Yes, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, his transmission fails. So he started following this truck. He followed it for nearly two miles, Maggie, before his transmission failed. And he was stranded. And I cannot imagine, right, his car stranding him as this green truck Again, with his future wife and child inside, disappearing into the night, the taillights fading away. So, I can't imagine for either one of Angie or Rob, right? Because Rob is trying to save Mm -hmm. Angie, and if Angie is still conscious, she obviously knows that that's rob following them and her like what what was she thinking in that time that's true like like why is he no longer following me yeah oh my Mm -hmm. gosh i didn't even think about that that's Mm gut-wrenching so when the transmission failed rob immediately jumped out of his vehicle and he started running which of course is a hopeless attempt that's so sad. I know. And soon, obviously, the chance of saving Angie was just too far out of his grasp. So with no other recourse of action, Rob flagged down a passing motorist because, again, like he's stuck here. And he asked the motorist to be driven straight to the police station. Well, this is a small town. So they hadn't really seen a crime like this before. Mm-hmm. Law enforcement wrote down every detail as Rob related it. They followed up on some of the details that could be verified. I mean, there was his vehicle right where he said it that he had to leave it. The transmission was indeed destroyed. Did he happen to get like um, the license plate number or anything no, like that? I one source, and I only read it in one source, said that he got just a partial, like two mm-hmm. of the letters, but that the rest of it was so rusted oh, that he couldn't okay. read what it said. Um, Law enforcement went to the food barn store and the parking lot, and there was Angie's car, right? So again, like Mm -hmm. right where Rob said she was abducted, there's her car left. Did they dust the payphones for fingerprints? You know what? I'm so glad you said that because that was my first inclination too. Because like if I were going to do an investigation, and again, I am not a professional, but I am an armchair professional, (laughs) I would have dusted the payphones for fingerprints. but. I didn't read a single source that said that the phones had been dusted for fingerprints. Now, obviously, it could have been, and maybe that's a piece of evidence that's just been stored for safekeeping. Yeah. Either, or maybe, like, it hasn't been matched, or maybe they have that information, but they just haven't released it. Because mm-hmm. we know that happens a lot in yeah. the cases. But you know what the police did have, Maggie? Blood? No. Oh, no. They had, um, they were able probably to make a sketch. Yes, they were. She gave so much information. That's right. They were able to create a sketch of the perpetrator because she gave and all the their details. Ve- yes. And a description of the vehicle. So at least they had a starting point, right? Yeah. And at least the description of the truck seems pretty accurate, but mm-hmm. the sketch, not so much. And I'm really disappointed. And and kind of like, you know, when you talk to your child and it's worse (laughs) than saying I'm mad, I'm disappointed because here are some of the things that Angie mentioned. She said he was dirty. Mm -hmm. She said that he had dark hair under a baseball cap. He had glasses. He had a mustache. And a beard. And he had a beard. But Maggie, I'm going to show you the sketch. Okay. And... I want you to tell me what you notice about the sketch versus what Rob reported to the police as Angie had relayed to him. What do you notice? Okay. Like, first off, I don't know that I would say that he necessarily looks Caucasian. Yeah. I kind of feel like he looks more Native American. He does. And I think it's because of the hair. Mm Mm-hmm. He also has no mustache. Nope. He also has no beard. Nope. 
He also has no baseball cap nope. or glasses. Like nope. this is just this is just I think like the sketch artists just putting a sketch out there. Like yeah. they have to, like it's like a kid you have to turn something in, so like you're just right. going to turn anything in. You're like, "Let's draw a country farm scene." And somebody yeah. draws like the beach. A banana. <laughs> yeah. It's like no. Yeah, that's nothing yeah, like anything. what she had said. So I'm uh-uh. I'm disappointed. Yeah. So, but again, at least they still had the description of the truck, which is good. Mm-hmm. Plus, according to the Charlie Project, which was the only source that I saw this information on, but I trust the Charlie Project as a source. Mm-hmm. It mentioned that Rob had also noted the truck potentially having a white top, but I'm I'm wondering if like he couldn't really tell because like when lights are shining, especially on like mm-hmm. if it were a light green, maybe it was just shining and it looked white. Yeah. And that there was possible damage to the driver's side front fender. So even more specifics. But even though, like when I mentioned that mural on the back and the colors of it and all of this stuff, you were like, oh, that's easily identifiable, mm-hmm. right? Well, the Missouri State Police, in their database search for similar vehicles in the area, turned up more than 1,500 hits for green Ford pickup trucks in the area. Okay, so not necessarily including the mural on the back, just green right. Ford pickup trucks. I was going to say, you got a lot of, like, fishermen yeah that town has a lot of avid fishermen right there because all of them have green ford f-150s with a fish on the back that's right those bass tournaments they get crazy yeah they get real so i don't know if the police searched all of those vehicles like all 1500 hits but i do know that several law enforcement agencies from their surrounding area did volunteer time and manpower to aid in the search and i did read that none of the trucks that they did investigate matched that that you know rob had said the abductors Mm -hmm. looked like with the mural and all of that so when they couldn't find any trucks that matched it then law enforcement began to grow suspicious of rob so they're thinking no you're not feeling it I'm not, I mean, maybe you'll convince me of it in one of your theories, but right now I'm not, I'm not feeling it. I'm not going to convince you. I'll go ahead and tell you that. So, but they were thinking like, could he have armed, harmed Angie? Like maybe he didn't want to get married. Maybe he didn't want to have a child so young. You know, why hadn't Angie come to his mom's house to let him know that she was just going to go home? Oh, so they also think like he's making up this description and making up this truck. Right. Okay. Partly because they couldn't find the abductor's truck, partly because what happened to Angie in such a small town does seem inconceivable, and partly because at first no witnesses came forward. So that's when they started to question his story. Hmm. But within a week after acknowledging that his transmission did go out, and that's not something that you can just, you know, like make it happen on command. Yeah, I was going to say that seems very elaborate to, you know. Yeah. Plan or fake. He passed a polygraph test, which I know we say means nothing, but he passed it. And two eyewitnesses eventually came forward to say that they had also seen a suspicious man and a truck in the food barn parking lot near the payphones between 1130 and 1145 that night. Okay, good. Yes. So Rob was cleared of any involvement. And Angie's mom especially had defended Rob from the beginning. She said of him when this case aired on Unsolved Mysteries. Oh, I love Unsolved Mysteries. That like takes me back to my childhood. Staying up late. That's on the TV. So 90s. So Mm. 90s for me. But she said, quote, I think it was natural that people wondered, did the boyfriend do it? But my feeling was I've known the kid all his life and I never doubted for a minute that he had anything to do with it, end quote. So she was very sure of him. But then, you know, if it's not him, then who? And we still don't know. Over the years, there have been several unconfirmed sightings of women who they say looks like Angie, like down to the small scar on her upper lip. And those Mm -hmm. sightings were like across the United States, even in Canada. 
But like I said, those were unconfirmed and in some cases unexplored. Hmm. But what we have explored are some potential theories. Your favorite part. My fave. So let's dive in. Theory one, Angie's ex-boyfriend. There were rumors in the small town. Shocker. (laughs) I know. Shocker that there would be rumors spreading in a small town that her ex-boyfriend was the father of the child and not Rob. But both Rob and the ex-boyfriend denied that rumor. The ex-boyfriend took a polygraph and passed it. And the big factor, there's not a single shred of evidence to link Angie's ex-boyfriend to the crime. Yeah, not that one. Yeah. Theory two, and this is a very vague comment, serial killer. Hmm. And it's very vague intentionally because there are three potential serial killers. Oh my God. Yeah. Like I would hate to live in this. I don't want to live in an area where there's a possibility of three potential serial killers. I don't want to live where there's one. That's that's true. (laughs) true. What am I saying? So here are the three possibilities. The first is Kenneth McDuff. Well, he only has two names. I know. I know. But McDuff had originally acted in a multi-death crime with another perpetrator during which three people were brutally murdered. And originally, both McDuff and the other perpetrator were sentenced, but then McDuff hired a new attorney who had his death sentence changed to a life sentence and was able to gather enough quote-unquote proof that the other perpetrator was the ringleader in that original murder. So McDuff was deemed to still be able to, quote, contribute to society and was released on parole Ah. in 1989. And most people believe that within three days... Y'all should see my face. You should see my face. Killing again. There were multiple deaths across Texas after the women were abducted where the bodies were found like days or even years later that most people argue are linked to McDuff. He did have a pickup. And at least in 1992, which is the year after Angie's abduction, he did fully move to Kansas City, Missouri. And all that before a co-worker, after he moved to Kansas City, was watching America's Most Wanted and also saw love this that show. image. Yeah. And this co-worker was like, uh, that looks like this guy I work with. Um, I work with a murderer. Yeah. So this co-worker luckily turned him in. But could he have committed a crime in Missouri, you know, just a few short months before he moved there fully? McDuff, though, has never officially been linked to Angie's case. So I'm assuming that he was arrested and is still behind bars or died. I can't remember if he's still behind bars or if he died in prison, but yes. Okay. The second serial killer, oh, you'll, you're, it's a three namer. Oh, Larry Dwayne Hall. Okay. Three names. Police believe that Hall was active in Indiana, Missouri, Illinois, Pennsylvania, Ohio, Michigan, and Wisconsin. Well, he's well-traveled. Yes, between 1981 and 1994. So for 13 years, abducting, sexually assaulting, and murdering up to 40 different women. No, that's scary. He would stalk them and abduct them from fairly remote areas, and he was known to travel extensively, so he knew the areas well where he committed the crimes. He has been described as dirty. Dirty! I know. He has dark hair, a mustache, and a beard. Okay. And he was known to be in the surrounding area, and again, the following year, in the spring of 1992. Okay, but so, he was well-traveled, yes. so may- and he knew the area, so maybe yes. he visited there before. Right, and that's the big question. Could he have been there before? And I haven't even gotten to the creepy part yet. So this hall... Well, I feel like... Okay, I'll let you go, then I'll say. No, no you might go answer ahead. it. Well, I mean, I just feel like 
maybe it wasn't someone from the area, but maybe someone who had been there before and knew the area. And that would explain why none of these green pickup trucks really resulted in anything significant for the case because they were searching for trucks in the wrong area. Mm, like they're looking local, but it's not somebody yeah. local. I do agree. I think that whoever did this had to be a, an out-of-towner and an outsider. And I'll talk a little bit more about why in a second. But um, otherwise, you know, that's a fairly recognizable truck. Mm -hmm. And I feel like if it were somebody from around this town or who were there frequently, people mm -hmm. would be like, oh, you know, that's Joe's truck. Because you already know I would be telling on y'all if I knew. I know. We're snitches. Yes. So Hall was known, though, to drive a van and not a truck. And that's the only detail that leads some people to question whether he's the perpetrator. But then still others, they believe, you know, well, he could have been using someone else's vehicle. Yeah, exactly. But Hall, when he committed his crimes against these, you know, 40 different women... He was meticulous about getting rid of evidence. He worked as a janitor, and so he had access to all kinds of cleaning supplies. So when he was finally arrested and the police searched his van, they only found five fingerprints, and they were all his own. Hmm. And it wasn't until they continued searching that they found super disturbing notes with messages like these. I'm going to say several of them. Seen joggers and bikers, many alone. Or check colleges and parks, many prospects. What? Yeah. Or buy two more plastic tarps, cover van floor. Uh. Or remove stained carpet. <gasps> this next one. Actually, the next few. Buy condoms. No body contact. Ugh. Yep. Buy new hacksaw. Oh, my. Clean all tools. So it's like he's making like a to-do list. Yeah. So there, there's the second serial killer. Hmm. The third are serial killer relatives. Oh, keep it and, in the family. Yeah. And there are several similar cases to Angie's that can be linked to them. So there were th three cases that I saw mentioned that were that were potentially linked to this serial killer relative pair. One was 30-year-old Cheryl Kenny. She worked at a convenience store in Nevada, Missouri, which is a bit mm. confusing because Nevada is a city in this case, not a state. <laughs> so the town of Nevada in Missouri, which was less than 70 miles away from Clinton, Missouri, where Angie was abducted. Okay. This also happened on February 27th, 1991, only five weeks before Angie's abduction. Okay. Cheryl was locking up the store after her shift, so similar time of night. Her car was found abandoned at the convenience store. And Cheryl was kidnapped. She was just abducted from there. And we have no further clues as to her whereabouts. Okay, so that's similar. Very similar. Five and a half weeks before Cheryl's disappearance, another convenience store worker was abducted on January 19th, 1991. 42-year-old Trudy Darby was about to finish her shift at the K&D Country Corner Store when she noticed a suspicious man outside. She called her son and described the man to him. Oh, do we know that description? Well, I didn't read anything mm -hmm. about it, but we do know who committed her crime, and it's the serial killer relatives. Hmm. So she describes this man. Again, such smart people. I'm so sad that they had tragic ends, but they shared what the person looked like. Mm -hmm. When they felt a fear, they shared it. And even though her son, who she called, said that she didn't seem particularly frightened, he still decided to drive to the store to check on her. But when he got there, he found her car abandoned and her purse remained behind. I would just like to know if her description was similar to the one that Angie gave. 
Well, I'm going to say yes because the two relatives are similar Hmm. to that description. Trudy's body was found two days later, stripped of clothing and a body of water. She had been beaten, raped, and shot twice in the head by a shotgun. But in her case, as I said, we do have a perpetrator. Half-brothers, Jesse Rush and Marvin Cheney, who were both convicted of her rape and murder. A third case that's potentially linked to them is that of Diana Braungart. Oh, I would never be able to say that one. (laughs) She was abducted on March 11th, 1987. And so it's a few years earlier. So those who want to link her abduction to the half-brothers believe that she could have been the original crime. Like the first time that they did it. Mm Mm-hmm. She was abducted from the Twin Peak Mall parking lot, which is just outside of Crystal City, Missouri. She had just talked to some friends saying that she was going to go home and study for a test, but she didn't make it home. Instead, her Ford Escort was found abandoned in the parking lot. And some eyewitnesses recalled seeing Diana in the parking lot talking to a man. And because they saw that conversation happening, they were able to produce a sketch by those memories. Diana's co-workers saw the sketch and they were in shock. It looked just like the last man who had checked out before Diana had finished her shift at work. That's so, so They creepy. were like, I've seen that guy. He was the last person who she checked out before leaving work. And this was a man who looked remarkably like Jesse Rush who was a person of interest in Diana's case and one who would later, along with his half-brother, be charged with the abduction, rape, and murder of Trudy Darby. Oh, my Lord. And so even though we don't know the names and the full details of all of the murders that Jesse and Marvin may have been responsible for, Jesse Rush did confess to cellmates and to police that he and his half-brother had committed murders, plural, even though we only know for sure of Trudy Darby and that they would dump the women's bodies in remote areas. And today police believe that either Rush or Cheney had acted alone in the abduction of Diana. So could those two have been responsible for all of these murders? Because there does seem to be a pattern. Yeah, definitely. I mean, they're also similar time of night. Yep. Like, I mean, the, that's the style of abduction. Yep. All from parking lots. Mm-hmm. They're, yeah. Their cars abandoned, same time of night, um, abducted from parking lots. And other than Diana's disappearance, which is the outlier in terms of the date, the other three all happened in a time period of less than three months. Mm-hmm. So my question, which is what you asked, was, hmm, wonder if they look anything like the description that Angie gave to Rob. So I pulled up their pictures, and they both do. In the mugshots, both men have darker hair. Both men have mustaches. Both men have beards. And both of them look dirty. The only thing they don't have is glasses, which is something that you could easily take off. Yeah, maybe they just have, like, readers or something. Right. Theory number three is just a random attack. I have really no description to tell you of this other than just the idea that somebody could have been following Angie. Like maybe they had seen her using the phone and saw that she was alone and had abducted her. And this was just a crime of opportunity. Hmm. Right. Somebody passing through. I don't know that I really. I mean, it could have just been someone passing through, but I do think they would have. I don't think that Angie was this person's first crime. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's pretty bold. Yeah, and they didn't really, like, make any mistakes. No, like, weapon was left behind if right. they used something like that. There wasn't really any DNA, like, blood or, you know, something right. fell- falling out of their car, nothing like that. Right. 
So I'm about to throw a wrench in the spokes with my final theory. Okay. Theory four, a case of mistaken identity. Hmm. This theory posits that this would have been then a planned attack just carried out on the wrong target. So on the 30th anniversary of Angie's disappearance, which is just this year, the Clinton Police Department made an announcement that could potentially completely alter this investigation if it's true. In April of this year, the Clinton Police Department revealed their new theory that Angie Hammond could have been mistaken for a different Angie. An Angie who, unlike Angie Hammond, was the daughter of an informant for a narcotics operation who was set to testify in court. Do the Angies look alike? Yes. In huh. fact, when law enforcement was asked that very same question, they said that they looked, and I quote, strikingly similar. Hmm. And the reason why they have this theory is because a letter was delivered to the police station, postmarked on the same day as Angie Hammond's abduction. Like it was just recently delivered to the police station? No. Or it, or, oh. it was, yeah, it was postmarked, you know, in April of 1991. Huh. And it had been in Angie's file this entire time. So this letter, it was created, which is super creepy to me, by magazine cutouts of letters. Yeah, you had to be very dedicated. Yeah, that would take some time. And it read as follows. Quote, hello, number blank which was the number that they mentioned in it, by the way, was the number that was assigned for that witness by the court for the upcoming narcotics hearing. So Angie number two, the court, number two they, she would have been. Okay. Yeah. Was this number blank. Okay. So hello, number blank. We know who you are, number blank. People like you deserve what you get. We know where your foxy daughter is, and she'll see us soon. Tell your wife, and it listed her name in the letter, she has our deepest sympathy in her further loss. Goodbye. Oh, my. Oh, that kind of like made my stomach turn a little. Yeah. So it does make it sound like whoever wrote this letter is trying to get revenge on this other Angie's dad for being an informant. Mm -hmm. And it makes it sound like they're going to go after his daughter and then says, basically tell your wife, she has our deepest sympathy for her loss. It's that it's creepy. Yes. So you combine that letter that's delivered. It's postmarked on the same day as Angie's abduction the informant's wife and daughter also lived in Clinton, Missouri at the time. And the fact that both Angie's look strikingly similar. I can see where they got this theory. Yes. And according to Clinton police captain Paul Abbott, who's been in charge of the investigation since 2006, he said that it wasn't until he had gone through Angie's file for the like third or the fourth time that he came across this letter that was first mentioned in the early investigation of Angie's case. And so I'm sure you're wondering, like me, why the heck did they not immediately make the connection? Yeah, I was. But according to all of my research, the best explanation that they gave was that it hadn't been followed up on more because, and this was according to an article by Adam Schrader, on May 15th of 2021, quote, police couldn't figure out how to connect it to the 1970s model green Ford truck that Schaefer had tried to chase down, end quote. So that was the only reason why? That's the only, mm -hmm. they were like, I don't know how this letter fits with the green Ford. So it must not have any, you know, must not be important. Yeah. Like that, again, I'm disappointed. Mm-hmm. 
To give potentially more believability to this theory, just a couple of months before publicly releasing the information about the letter, so they had not told the public about the letter yet, in early 2021, law enforcement received a voicemail from an anonymous caller mentioning details involving that letter. So again, like how would this person know about it? They hadn't told the public about it yet. In that voicemail, one of the two people that the caller point out as the perpetrators is someone that police had investigated before. The law enforcement have not officially stated who that person is. Right. Mostly because they would like to have a little bit more information. So they're hoping that with a little bit more exposure about the case, maybe that anonymous caller will contact them again. And they've actually made public pleas to that effect. Come on, anonymous caller. Call back. Yeah. Captain Abbott told reporter Francis Watson of KY3 on April 14th, 2021, quote, I would really, really be interested in having a conversation with that person. It can completely be anonymous. It can be a phone conversation. I can protect their identity. I can guarantee that, end quote. Okay, Maggie, what are your thoughts? Okay, so, like, I feel like it's so hard in these cases with Angie because part of me almost feels bad wanting to say that it was the case of mistaken identity because like any murder or like loss of life is sad but Mm -hmm. like that to me adds an extra level of heartbreak because it wasn't supposed to be her not that it would have been any less sad if it was other Angie right just you know it's sad in that aspect but that because at first I was like, it's a serial killer. Mm-hmm. It definitely has to be a serial killer. Mm-hmm. But now I kind of really do think that it might be the mistaken identity. I think you could be right. Especially because that caller named mm-hmm. two people and one of them was someone who police had already questioned. Yeah. One thing we do know for sure is that Angie was kidnapped by a stranger. This was a small town in which a truck that distinguishable would have been recognized. And if this were a case of mistaken identity, then that mistake could only happen if the perpetrator were not familiar with either of the two women. With how friendly and popular Angie Hammond was, that's not likely. No one could forget that petite, bubbly young woman. And now, those who love Angie can't forget the night she was robbed from them. Rob stated to Unsolved Mysteries, quote, the beginning is the hardest because you know you were close enough to get him, but you just didn't get the job done. And you still wake up at nights wondering where she's at, wondering what happened, wondering if anyone's still looking. You're just wondering all the time, end quote. They might have lost their grasp on the ability to catch up with the perpetrator that night, but let's not let them loosen their grasp on the one thing keeping them going. Hope. Anyone who has heard a story like this one, or with any information concerning the case, is asked to call the Clinton Police Department directly at 660-885-2679 or send an email anonymously to tips at clintonmopd.com. Again, please like and join us on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and to see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast and on TikTok at Coffee and Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffee and cases podcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so that more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll, we'll see, see you, you next week. week.
Swimsuit? Check. Sunscreen? Check. Phone charger? Check. Don't forget to pack the 5-Hour Energy. It fits great in a pocket or carry-on, and the alert feeling will help you arrive ready for anything. Now get 20% off when you use code 5HETRAVEL at 5HourEnergy.com. Expires April 30th. One-time use only. Not valid with other discounts. Remember, visit 5HourEnergy.com and use code 5HETRAVEL to save 20%. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed, when I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. (laughs) 